Well, please turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15 this morning. We're working our way through Matthew's Gospel. If you need a Bible, there are uh, Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, but I do encourage uh, believers to bring their own Bibles, uh, that you have them and have them open uh, to make sure what I'm saying is coming from, from Scripture. We've been going through Matthew 19. We've had three sermons on marriage, on the verses 1 through 12. Last week or two weeks ago was on singleness and being a eunuch for Christ. And we come to the next verses, uh, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Father, we thank you that we can read about Jesus again, that we can be reminded of how Jesus loves and who he loves and how he loves the least and the weakest and the most dependent. We thank you that you love the, the children, Lord Jesus, that you care about children from, from the infant babies uh, all the way up to adulthood and all people you care about, you love, you have compassion. And we thank you for this picture of Christ we have this morning. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would hear all that you want us to hear from your word. We ask that you would equip us to bring children to Jesus faithfully. And we pray that you would help us come to Jesus as children humbly dependent upon you. And so, Father, we pray you'd help us come now, confessing that apart from you we can do nothing. Father, we pray that you would help me as I preach, that uh, you would help me to give your people the sense of your word and help them understand the reading. I pray that you would help me come to the pulpit, not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to your people the testimony of God, but help me determine not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help my speech and my preaching not to be with the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your people's faith may not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Help me preach the gospel and present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Help me not preach myself, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and myself a bondservant for Jesus' sake. Help me not to preach Christ from envy, strife, or selfish ambition, but help me to preach Him from goodwill and out of love. Help me preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that I may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Help me to preach the Word. Help me be ready in season and out of season and help me convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Help me preach the Gospel so that it does not come to your people in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. Help me praise your works and declare your mighty acts from the pulpit. Help me speak of the might of your awesome acts and declare your greatness. Help me speak of the glory of your kingdom and of your power. Lord, grant that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Help me to diligently present myself, approve to you a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help me to believe, help us to believe what I preach. Grip us with it and humble us with it and help us to exult in it until we're lost in wonder, love, and praise. Lord, give us a sense of Your power and Your presence when I preach. Help us to give them a glimpse of Your glory and majesty and the love of Christ my Savior and the magnificence of the Gospel. Lord, cut all the ribbons that tie me to the frowns and smiles of men and drive a still beam down my backbone and free me to serve You for Your glory alone. Father, help me seek to serve Your people and not impress them with myself. May I impress them with Jesus. May they not say what a wonderful preacher, but what a wonderful Savior. Oh, Father, please make Your ministers today Your special instruments of revival and use us in Your glorious employ. Make us mighty in the Scriptures. Make our lives dominated by a sense of Your greatness and Your majesty and Your holiness. And make our minds and hearts aglow with the great truths of the doctrines of grace. Cause us to learn what it is to die to self and to all human aims and personal ambitions. Make us willing to be fools for Christ's sake. Please make us willing to bear reproach and falsehood for Your sake. Please help us labor and be willing to suffer for Your name's sake. Please make our supreme desire not to be to gain earth's accolades, but to win Your approbation when we appear before Your awesome judgment seat. Please help us to preach 
with broken hearts and tear-filled eyes. Please grant our ministry an extraordinary effusion of Your Holy Spirit. And allow us to witness signs and wonders following in the transformation of multitudes of human lives. Father, we're unable to do this. We need You. And so we pray You would come now and help us hear from You. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Jesus is teaching us what it means to be His disciples and follow Him. He has shown us what this looks like in the marriage relationship. We've thought about that the last three uh, uh, times we've been in Matthew 19. And today Jesus shows us how His followers ought to think about children how to love children by bringing them to Jesus, and how they ought to imitate the humility of children and come to Christ. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll see more about our need to be utterly dependent on Jesus and follow Jesus with our money and possessions. And there's a great contrast next week with what we see today. In, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when, when, when we come to the account of the rich young ruler, what precedes that account is Jesus calling the little children to come to Him. That is not by accident. There is a great contrast here between the helpless, dependent child and the self-sufficient rich young ruler. Today we see helpless, needy children who are utterly dependent on their parents and on God for everything they need. Next week, we'll see a rich young ruler who trusted in his self-sufficiency, his own strength, his own power. Today, this is the thesis of the sermon, parents should diligently bring their children to Jesus, and Jesus comes for the humble, weak, needy, and dependent. He comes for children and all who humble themselves like these children. So that's the thesis statement. If you like thesis statements for sermons, everything I say from now on should support that statement. Parents should diligently bring their children to Jesus, and Jesus comes for the humble, weak, needy, and dependent. He comes for children, and all who humble themselves like these little children. So point number one, people brought their children to Jesus, and Jesus wants children to be brought to Him. People brought their children to Jesus, and Jesus wants children to be brought to Him. Look again at verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And He laid His hands on them and went away. Beloved, let's notice at first that it's good that parents recognize their children need Jesus. Parents, parents in the room, do you realize this? Do you realize that your children desperately need Jesus? And, and I am reminded of the things that Vody Bauckham often says about children, that, that God made them so small so they won't kill us. Because if your little, cute little baby boy was 6'5 and 250, and you said, no, Johnny, you can't have ice cream, and he throws a temper tantrum, it's good they're not 6'5 and 250, because they might kill you to get the ice cream. No matter how cute Johnny might look, Johnny's a sinner. I'm not talking about you, John Owen, I'm just using Johnny generically. Just... But we are all born into this world sinners. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. We're all born sinners, all of us. From the least to the greatest, male, female, boys and girls, pastors, people in the pew, everyone, the Bible teaches, are born sinners. Friend, if you're here this morning, uh, do, do you realize that's what the Bible says about you? That you're a sinner who've offended a holy God. Uh, and we're going to be thinking about humility. One of the ways that we sin against God is that we're proud and arrogant. 
We don't like to accept help. We can do it our own, on our own. Uh, we want what we want when we want it the way we want it. I was teaching in our, our, our member, new members class this morning and I talk about certain sins, you know, sexual morality, uh, alcohol, it, 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 abuse of alcohol and drugs, uh, 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 idolizing self and, and achievement. I mean, at the, at, the, at the root heart of all those sins is, is selfishness and pride. I want what I want and not what God wants. And the Bible teaches that we're all like this, that we've all sinned against God in this way. And, and because of our sin, and because God is a holy, good, and righteous God, we deserve God's wrath because of our sin. We deserve hell. Hell is a, a real place. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible combined. And He described it as a place of weeping and burning and gnashing of teeth where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's what we deserve for our sin. We deserve hell. As I like to remind you, it's hotter there than here this, this morning. Let that remind you of, of that as you sweat and, and long for, for AC, which we don't have. Let that remind you of the flames of hell that we deserve because of our sin. But the good news of the gospel is you don't have to go there because God loves sinners. God loves you. God loves sinners so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus, the God-man, truly God and truly man. And, and Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life. He's the only one that was never selfish, that never had sinful pride, that always did what was right, that always spoke a perfect word and, and lived a holy, righteous, sinless, pristine life and then died on that cross where He suffered the wrath of God. Suffered the wrath of God. Was stripped naked, right? Talked about clothing this morning. He was stripped naked and shamed on that cross and took our sin upon Him. Bore the wrath of God. Teach your children propitiation, parents. Teach them hypostatic union. May they know Christ. May they know the sufferings that Jesus bore, the propitiation for our sins, that He took the wrath of God upon Himself and died and was buried. But on the third day, He rose from the dead. Which is why we're here today. He rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell so that all who repent and believe in Him shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. You can simply receive it by faith alone. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Friend, have you trusted in Christ? Children here, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your only hope in life and in death? We invite you to do that now. We invite you to trust in Jesus and believe on Him. If this is a new message to you, if you've never believed the Gospel, we want to talk with you about it. I'll be here in the back. There are other Christians who would love to speak with you. We want you to leave today trusting in Christ and knowing that you are a child of God forgiven by Him and a part of His family. It's good that these parents recognize their children need Jesus. We all desperately need Jesus. And we should bring our children, and children in the text, the word for children in this text means anywhere from babies all the way up to 12 years old. We should bring our children to Jesus today. How do we do this? Well, I thought of 12 ways that we should bring our children to Jesus and imitate the parents in this text and also do what Jesus wants us to do in this text. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. One, we bring our children to Jesus through discipline. Through discipline. I'm not mentioning these in any particular order of importance, but this is really one of the first ways we bring them to Jesus. Before they can hear intellectual arguments and understand sentences, they can be told no and have that no enforced. And parents, you need to do that. 
You need to do that. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. If you listen to all this modern garbage, even some, I've read pastors and Hebrew scholars who argue these Proverbs don't mean spank your kids. I hate that teaching. I hate it. Don't hate your kids. <laughs> don't hate your kids. Do what the Proverbs say. At Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. How can you be more clear than that? But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 12-14, Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Woo! Mm. Parents, discipline your children. You bring them to Jesus through discipline. Properly applied in godliness and holiness, not with anger. And if you have questions about how to do that, talk to Daniel, an elder at our church. Talk to Michael. Talk to other parents who discipline their children properly and wisely. That's number one. Bring your children to Jesus through discipline. Number two, we bring our children to Jesus through His Word. Through His Word. Parents, read the Word with your children. Read the Bible with your children. Teach your children the Gospel. Do they know the Gospel? Do your children know the Gospel? I, we were here Wednesday night and I asked John Owen, John Owen, how old are you? Five years old. I asked him the Gospel. Six. Six, right? He turned six a couple weeks ago. And, and he was able to talk to me about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Parents, do your six-year-olds and five-year-olds know the Gospel? Could they tell you the Gospel? Memorize the Word with your children. There are wonderful little music CDs you can get. The Seed of the Word or something like that. And you can play these little CDs and they're nice little jingles that get the Word of God into their hearts and help them memorize it at a young age. Fill them with the Word of God. Have them memorize the Word of God. Read the Word of God with them. Teach them the Gospel. We bring our children to Jesus through His Word. Three, we bring our children to Jesus through prayer. Through prayer, we pray for them and teach them to pray. These parents in our text brought their children to Jesus so that He might lay His hands on them and pray for them. Pray for your children. Pray that they would be saved. Pray that they would delight in God and His Word. Pray for them. Pray that Jesus would intercede for them. That's a great prayer to pray today. Lord Jesus, please save our children, help our children, teach our children to pray. Four, we bring our children to Jesus through theological instruction. Theology is the study of God. And so we want to explain the Bible to our children. Explain the Word of God. Use the catechism like I did with Akave to teach your children the deep truths of the Word of God. Do your children know what the Trinity is? One God in three persons. Who are they? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hypostatic union is not hard for a child to learn. The joining of the human and divine natures in one person, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Propitiation. God's loving anger. God's loving anger removing sacrifice. Teach your children big truths of God's Word. Teach them theology. Um, read good books with them. I've encouraged parents to read this book with their children about uh, 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 Religion 101, How to Not Lose Your Faith in College. Because your kids are going to go off to college and they're going to hear all these things about is the Bible reliable and did Jesus really die, die and rise again? Is Jesus really God? All these things. Don't let them leave home before you give them all the answers to all that garbage. <laughs> I know people love this illustration about the counterfeit dollar. Just study the real thing. That's great. Study the real thing. But I'm going to inoculate my kids. They're going to know about Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam. They're going to know Muhammad married a six-year-old and consummated the marriage when he was nine years old. They're going to know all that stuff when she was nine and he was 50. I'm going to tell them all this stuff because I want them to be absolutely uh, inoculated to this wickedness and evil that's Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. I want them to know why all those things are out to lunch. 
I want them to hear the arguments for why Jesus is supposedly not God from Hebrew Israelites and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I want them to know all those and have all the answers before they leave home. So they don't hear anything new when they get out of my house. Now, I know that's impossible to do, but, but, but we should aim for that as parents to teach our children theology, to know why they believe Jesus is God, to have Bible verses in their minds why they believe Jesus is God. Teach your children theology. Bring them to Jesus by teaching them theology. Bring our children to Jesus, number five, through family worship and devotions. Bring our children to Jesus. Bring your children to Jesus through family worship and devotions. Families, do you set aside time for this? Do you have a regular time in your home where you bring the family together, you bring the children together, you bring husband and wife together, the single families, mom brings the kids together, single dads, dads bring, you gather the family around and you open up the Word, and you read the Word, you pray, you might sing. Do you do that? Do you do that? I was at uh, Michael Osborne, one of our elders' homes, for uh, July 4th, and, and we were there late, and, and they invited us to join them. And he read a, a chapter of the Bible, and he has all these cards made out for every member of our church, which is how we want to use the membership directory to pray for one another of every member of our church and every ministry of our church, he hands the cards out and everybody would pray for that ministry or that person. Families, do you do that? Are you teaching your children diligently the ways of the Lord, the gospel, by having family worship and devotions? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be in depth. It could be 10 minutes. But do you do something where you're pu pushing the Word of God into their hearts and minds? Six, we bring our children to Jesus through bringing them to church. By bringing them here to gather with the assembly. This is vital for your child's growth. And you might say, well, my child doesn't understand anything that's going on. He's always thinking of something else and, and drawing and all this stuff. Friend, I'm telling you, they're getting more than you know. Your, your children are watching more than you know. You bring your child to church from little baby up, they're going to know the Lord's Prayer because we say it every week here. They're, they're, they're getting more than you know and you're, you're being an example to them of Christ being important in your life. In one article, Luke Eggstrom, a young man who just gone off to college, writes, the greatest blessing my parents gave me, bringing me Sunday after Sunday, morning and evening, to the same church for 18 years, even when I desperately desired to attend my 10 a.m. championship soccer game. The parents said, no, you're not going to play in the championship soccer game. You're going to come to church because Jesus is more important than soccer and championships. Amen. Yes, Devin, amen. amen. What does it gain? What does it gain for a young man to be like, I don't even know the popular soccer people, Pele, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, what, what is it? What is it? What, what is it? What is it? A gain for a child to be like these people and earn millions of dollars and then die and go to hell forever? What, what do they gain? He says, "For that I am eternally grateful." Would you ever attend a wedding without the bride? Of course not. Then why do you try to get Jesus without the church? We bring our children to Jesus through bringing them to church. Number seven, we bring our children to Jesus through the way that we live. We bring our children to Jesus through the way that we live. We must set the example for them. We must set the example for them. We must walk with Jesus. We must humble ourselves and confess sin to our children and show them what it means to follow Him. Yes. Parents, do you ever confess your sins to your children? If you don't, there's a problem. Parents, if you never confess your sins to your children, there's a big problem. You need to be humble before your children. You need to show them that you need a Savior. And you do. We, we, we've got to be an example by the way that we live of what it means to follow Jesus. Number eight, we bring our children to Jesus through education. Education. Parents, the main reason your children need to learn to read and think 
is so that they might know Christ. I remember a title of a talk Vody Bauckham gave, Harvard or Hell? Harvard or Hell? Again, what does it profit a man to gain the greatest education, have the greatest logic, read the greatest books, go to Harvard, go to Yale, and then die and go to Hell? What are you seeking to impart to your children by the education that you give them? Do you realize that the main reason your children need to learn to read and write and think and have logic is that they might know Christ, that they might read and understand the Bible? Do you make educational choices based on their greatest need to know Christ? Number nine, we bring our children to Jesus through warnings. We bring our children to Jesus through warnings, maybe with tears in our eyes, pleading with them. To warn someone about sin and death and hell is loving. It's loving. Parents, do you talk to your kids about hell? God loves us and He warns us because He loves us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We see a a powerful warning there in that text and we also see a, a gospel hope. Parents, do you warn your children about what life is like without Christ? without Christ and without hope in the world. Ten, we bring our children to Jesus through joy. Through joy. Uh, and I, I've, I've, I've heard that there, there are people and pastors and Christians that they just, they, 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 they're, they're, they're so religious and doing religious stuff that they drive their kids away from the church. Because it's just so burdensome and so hard and, and gotta go to church and gotta go sing and gotta be with Jesus and it's, it's just like it's a burden for them. So why wouldn't it be a burden for the kid? No, it's gotta be our joy. I mean, do your, do your kids know the thing daddy's most excited about is Jesus? Like Jesus cranks my dad's tractor. My dad gets excited and happy about Jesus. I see the gleam in his eyes when we're talking about Jesus. He's excited to come to church, singing out hymns for King Jesus. Jesus is my dad's treasure, not football. Do your kids know that? Do they feel that? Do they know that what what drives you with passion and joy and delight, it's not a burden, it's a joy. God's a joy. This is just Christian hedonism that, that Piper coined. Do you live out Christian hedonism before your kids? Or is God boring? Bible's boring. I'm trying to stay awake in church. It's hard because it's hot. Uh, but I try, but, you know, I can't wait for, you know, afternoon and we can do what we really love and enjoy. Well, if you, if you treat Christianity like that, yeah, your kid's going to be bored and run away because he sees it's boring to you. Does God grip your heart? Is he the lover of your soul? Are you madly in love with Jesus? Like Song of Solomon. Right? That's about Jesus too. Amen. Amen. We bring our children to Jesus through joy. Through joy in God. Joy in doing all those things. Not in drudgery. And so joy in God. And and also, have fun with your kids. Have fun with your children. And show them how everything connects to God. Show them how soccer connects to God, that you do it for the glory of God. Show them how the entertainment that you watch is connected to God. Show them how everything in life is connected to God for their joy and delight and be thankful for God for the gifts He gives. Have fun with your kids. Do fun stuff with your kids. I hang out with some kids. We do 30 minutes of catechism and then we play football. We play soccer. We, sometimes we do crazy stuff like try to kill wasp nest um, to protect people. To protect people. But have fun with your kids. Do, do things that are fun. And teach them how it's related to God. Show them that God's way is the best way and the most joyful way, the most fulfilling way, the happiest way is God's way. Eleven, bring your children to Jesus through love. Make sure your children know how much you love them. 
I wish all of you parents would listen to a talk that Ed Moore gave. I've sent it out before. I'll probably send it out again this week. But he gives 11 ways to parent. And one of the ways he emphasizes is use expressive words with obnoxious, obnoxious, obnoxious frequency in order to communicate love. Obnoxious is sort of overboard. Like, okay, dad, we get the point. Okay, dad, don't do that in front of my friends. Stop kissing all over me and telling me how much you love me in front of my friends. That's embarrassing, dad. Do it, dad. Do it anyway. Embarrass them. Ed, Ed Moore says, use expressive words. I love you. Do, 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 do you tell your kids you love them all the time, obnoxiously? Do they know? Oh, they know I love them. I provide for them. I work for them. I do this for them. I do that. For them. No, tell them. Tell them that you love them obnoxiously. Express your love for them in words over and over and over and over again. Ed Moore says, my father never had a father. Ed Moore says, he's a pastor. He said, he said, my father never had a father. His father left when he was six months old. My dad was the only kid in town without a father. And he had no model in front of him at all of what it means to be a father. I've heard guys blame their bad dad for their being a bad dad. But that's hogwash. My dad had no idea how to be a dad. All he knew was that he loved his kids and he said it all the time. He said, I love you. I'm thankful to be your dad. Every night before I went to sleep, he would put his hand on my head, he would kiss me, and he would tell me he loved me. He said everything that needed to be said every single day. So every day, tell your kids you love them. It's a godly thing to do. Parents, we bring our children to Jesus through love. Through love. And number 12, finally, we bring our children to Jesus through trusting in God. We must ultimately trust God with our children because He alone can change their hearts and finally bring them to Jesus. He is the one who draws. John 6.44, Jesus said, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. God is the one who draws. God is the one who causes to be born again. God is the one who grants repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, in all the things we try to do as parents, trying to be the best parents, trying to do all these 11 things, we have to ultimately trust God because only God can change their hearts. Ed Moore comments in that talk that he knows parents who are better parents than him, who did all the things he says in that talk way better than he did, and even other things, and they're excellent, amazing parents, better than he ever was, and yet their, parent, their kids walk away from Jesus and make shipwreck of faith. And then he knows parents who seem to do everything wrong, <laughs> that didn't get any of the things he's saying right, and yet their kids are walking faithfully with Jesus today. We have to remember that. Man's responsibility, yes, we have the responsibility to do all these things, but at the end of the day, God is sovereign, salvation is the Lord, and we must trust in God. And so that's point number one. People brought their children to Jesus, and Jesus wants children to be brought to Him, and we ought to bring our children to Jesus today. Now we notice in our text, Jesus' disciples try to stop the people from bringing their children to Jesus. Look at the beginning of verse 13. The disciples rebuke the people. The disciples rebuke the people for bringing their children to Jesus. Children in that day were viewed as unimportant. They're still viewed that way today by our culture. Maybe the disciples thought that these parents and their children would be a distraction to Jesus' mission. Maybe they didn't think Jesus had time for this. In that day, many children died before the age of 12. Some estimate up to 50% of children died before the age of 12. So why spend time on them could have been the thought. Now, these are terrible thoughts, of course. But the disciples were trying to hinder the parents from bringing their children to Jesus. Beloved, may we not be like the disciples and hinder our children from coming to Jesus. We hinder our children by failing at those 12 ways of bringing our children to Christ. We hinder them by helping them fall in love with the world and their own flesh more than trusting and loving Jesus. And so again, I just want to ask you the question, parents, are you helping your children be more dedicated, committed, and excited about anything more than Jesus? Could be education, sports, many of the hobbies and activities. 
I mean, I, 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 I see parents giving their children smartphones. Parents, do you realize what your kid can access on a smartphone? I would strongly urge you to consider that decision. Are there ways that we're hindering our children from following Jesus? We don't want to be like the disciples. But they did that. They, they, they rebuked the people for bringing their children to Jesus. How does Jesus respond? Jesus wants children to come to Him because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. That's point three. Point two was Jesus' disciples tried to stop the people from bringing their children to Jesus. Point three, Jesus wants children to come to Him because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Look at verses 14 and 15. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And He laid His hands on them and went away. Jesus commands His disciples to let the little children come to Him and not to hinder them. Jesus got upset about this. In, in, in Mark's Gospel, we read in Mark 10, 14, when Jesus saw this, He was indignant. He was angry. He was furious about the disciples hindering these children from coming to Jesus. Mark 10, 14, when Jesus saw this, He was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to Me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. This is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is said to be angry like this. James Edwards comments, Jesus' displeasure here reveals His compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. I mean, this anger of Jesus is, is the way He's expressing His love. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. You know the song, right? He loves the little children. And, and, and He's angry that they would be hindered from coming to Him. Jesus loves us. Jesus is the lover of our soul and He loves you children. He loves you. And He wants you for Himself. And He gets angry when people hinder you from coming to Him. And this text tells us that Jesus laid His hands on them. This is a way of giving these children His blessing. We, we see this in places like Genesis 48, 14 and 20, and Israel stretched out His right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and His left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing His hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Verse 20, so He blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Jesus was laying hands on them to bless them and to pray for them. And the reason that Jesus gives in our text for allowing the children to come to Him is because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. What does that mean? What does that mean that the kingdom of heaven belongs to these children? Well, first some things it doesn't mean. Number one, it doesn't mean that we should baptize our infants. Amen. Amen. You better stay there, Anthony Butler. At that Presbyterian cemetery, seminary. It doesn't mean we should baptize our infants. There's no baptism in this text. And there's no water in this text. This is more of a, a child dedication text. I hear Presbyterians laugh at us Baptists because we sometimes dedicate a child. Well, why would we do it? Because that's what Jesus did. He laid hands on them and prayed for them. When kids come here, I lay hands on them and pray for them. I see it in the Bible. I don't see any infant baptisms in the Bible. So don't, don't hammer me because we pray for children. Jesus did it. So it doesn't mean we should baptize our infants. It doesn't mean that the children Jesus prays for and blesses are excluded from the blessing of Jesus here. One of the commentators I often quote and highly respect, D.A. Carson, actually takes that view that, that the kingdom doesn't really belong to these children. It just belongs to people such as them, which means like them, but not them themselves. I think that's so bad. I think that's so wrong. No, it doesn't mean that the children of Jesus prays for and blesses aren't actually blessed. <laughs> Whatever blessing and prayer Jesus gives here belongs to both the children Jesus blesses 
in this passage and to all who are humbly willing to receive it as they receive it, as helpless, needy beggars, as children. The word there, the, the Greek word toyutan, for such belongs, it, when, when the Bible uses that, it, it, it includes the, 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 the people it's talking about and all like them. And so, for example, Mark 4.33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. That means it includes that parable he spoke and all like it. It doesn't exclude uh, the one he just spoke. I love Paul Jewett on this. He's written a very helpful book on why we don't baptize infants and why we're Baptists. Infant baptism, the covenant of grace. And he uh, analyzes these passages about Jesus receiving the children. And he writes, the Greek toyutan may not... Uh, by no means implies the exclusion, but rather the inclusion of the ones mentioned. When the Jews cried out against Paul in Acts 22.22, away with such a one, Toyutan, they could hardly have meant away with someone like this Paul. Rather, they meant away with Paul and every one of his kind. By the same rule, when Jesus bade little children come to Him, for such is the kingdom of heaven, He most likely meant... The kingdom belongs to these children and all others who are like them in that they have a childlike faith. The truth that the kingdom belongs to the childlike should not prejudice the affirmation that it also belongs to children. So it doesn't mean we should baptize our infants. It doesn't mean that these children are excluded. What does it mean? Well, there are two ways of understanding what this means that the kingdom belongs to these children. And I'm going to give you those two, and you can pray and study and uh, decide for yourself. Uh, to have the kingdom of heaven or God, and I'm going to use those interchangeably, I, I don't believe there's a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Some people try to make a distinction. I don't think there's a distinction, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. For, for, for the kingdom of heaven to belong to you is nothing short of eternal salvation in God's kingdom. And this applies only to these specific children that Jesus actually in person blesses and prays for in our text. That's one way men like John MacArthur have understood this text. Why does he believe that? Well, because if you read Matthew 5, 3, and 10, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so eternal salvation in God's kingdom belongs to these specific children Jesus blesses in this passage. And why does the kingdom of God belong to them? Because they're being brought to the king. The king is in their presence. The king of the kingdom of God is in their presence and he is God. And his passion is to take these babies in his arms and pray for them and bless them. And those whom the king of kings blesses, no man shall ever curse. And so... People like MacArthur view this as a very specific, redemptive, historical event where Jesus blesses these babies and they saved. They in the kingdom. Because for the kingdom of heaven to belong to you means you're in the kingdom. It doesn't apply to every child that ever lives. It's just these particular children in this text had the privilege, the honor of being in the presence of the king and the king pronouncing a blessing on them. That's one way to view this. And so, as MacArthur writes, eternal salvation in God's kingdom does not necessarily belong to all children, but all children don't have the privilege and honor that these children had. This is a one-time redemptive historical event that Jesus is going to use as an object lesson for His disciples and all of us. Namely, we must all humble ourselves like children. So that's one way to understand this text and what it means that the kingdom of heaven belongs to these children. It did. Jesus saved those children. But it's different. It's not, we, we don't have that privilege of Jesus in the flesh being here, laying His hands on our children and, and blessing them. A second way to understand this text is to have the kingdom of heaven God belong to you can mean that you enjoy the privileges of the gathered congregation of believers. So it doesn't mean that they are saved, but it means that they're justified, but it means that they enjoy the privileges of, of, uh, of being in the local church. Remember in one sermon I preached on the kingdom of heaven and I gave you seven ways the kingdom of heaven can be understood and I, I relied heavily on um, Brian 
Schwartley's work on this. Number one, sometimes the phrase kingdom of heaven refers specifically to the visible church. So the gathered congregation. Uh, number two, often the kingdom of God is used as an equivalent to eternal life or salvation. Number three, the kingdom of God is also used in the sense of a future salvation. Number four, the kingdom of God can refer to the reign of Christ within the hearts of believers. Number five, the expression kingdom of God is used to describe Christ's work in the whole world. But then it's six and seven that could be applied to this text of what it means for all little children of Christian parents who bring them to the church are uh, 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 the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And so what are those six and seven ways? The phrase kingdom of God can refer to the privileges and honors connected with the kingdom. The kingdom of God can refer to the privileges and honors connected with the kingdom. So Israel, the covenant people, which as God's elect nation had received the law and the means of grace, rejected the Messiah and the gospel. Therefore, they were denied all the privileges of the visible church. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing its fruits. And number seven, the kingdom of God, that expression is sometimes spoken of as a message, something that can be preached. So Luke 4.43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. And so Christ sent the apostles to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, Luke 9. And so this understanding of what it means for children, for the kingdom of heaven to belong to children, would be that the kingdom of heaven belongs to all children in the sense that the Christian parents who bring their children to church and ensure their children are active in the life of the church. So the Sunday morning service, Sunday school, Wednesday night Bible study, youth group, other church events. When, 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 when parents bring their children into the life of the church like that, the kingdom uh, belongs to these children because they are hearing the message of the kingdom. They're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the word of God rightly taught. And they are partaking in many of the privileges and honors connected with the kingdom. The word of God, prayer, preaching, singing, seeing baptism, seeing the Lord's Supper enjoyed, and the fellowship and love of the saints. And in that sense, the kingdom belongs to our children. And that's what's happening today for many of you children who are here. You're listening. Yes, Devin, you're hearing the Word of God. You're singing praises to God. You're praying. You're here amongst the love of the saints. And so the kingdom belongs to you in that sense. And so, beloved, we're to raise our children in the Lord, the Bible says. We should raise our children in the Lord. Again, I have this talk with my Presbyterian friends because they're, they'll say things like, well, do you teach your children to pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Our Father? Yes, I would. I'm going to raise my kids. God is your Father. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is for you. Parents, raise your kids that way. They're Christians in training. The, the, the best testimony your kids can have is, I never knew a day I didn't love and trust Jesus Christ. God is your God. Trust in Him. Are you trusting in Him, Johnny? Are you believing in Jesus? Then He's for you. He's with you. He'll help you. We raise our children in the Lord. And, and we hold off on certain privileges of the church and kingdom until they reach a certain maturity. I, I get this sometimes from my Presbyterian friends. You're teaching your children to not believe because they say, I believe, Daddy. And you say, no, you don't. You're not, we're not going to baptize you. We're not going to let you be a member of the church because you don't really believe. I would never say that to my children. If, if Johnny comes to me and says, Daddy, I believe in Jesus. He's five years old. Daddy, I believe in Jesus. I want to be baptized. Johnny, yes, you believe in Jesus. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your God. You, you, own, he, you belong to Him. And, and yet, Johnny, there are some things, in, like everything in life, that you need to be a little bit more mature about before you, you partake in that, like baptism. And so, Johnny, we're going to wait a little bit. You have faith. I believe you know and trust Jesus, but, but we're going to wait until you get older uh, uh, and, and mature enough to be baptized. Because we don't want to train our kids to not believe. Right? We don't want to doubt our kids' salvation so much that they begin to doubt it. 
Teach your children to trust Christ, that He's their God. And wait until they have maturity, the maturity of faith to believe and, and be baptized. We raise our children in the Lord. Why am I saying that? Because the Bible says it, Ephesians 4, uh, 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I view children as Christians in training. They must be born again. They must believe in Christ. But parents, if you're teaching your children right, they're going to be believing in Christ as soon as they can talk. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I say I'm a Baptist, but I want to raise my kid like a Presbyterian. <laughs> Use the catechism. Teach them to believe in Christ. Teach them to follow Jesus. I'm sure there will be questions about this at, at the Q&A, so please, we have a Q&A after our service. If you have questions about this, if you think, I think I've gone too far... If you think I'm too Presbyterian, please come up and ask a question. I would love to, to talk and be corrected by someone who actually has children. That was supposed to be funny. Finally, in this text, we learn that the kingdom of heaven belongs only to those like these children. The kingdom of heaven belongs only to those like these children. Beloved, Jesus is, is reinforcing what He taught at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18. Do you remember those verses at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to Him a child, He put Him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To receive the kingdom of God like a little child is to humble yourself and realize that you are utterly helpless and unable to save yourself. You cannot give God anything. You can't bring anything to the table except your sin. You can only come and receive from Him. That is another point of this text. As the hymn writer wrote, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. Jesus said, The kingdom belongs to such as these. Meaning it belongs to them and all like them. All who are helpless, all who are needy, all who are utterly dependent on God, that is who the kingdom of God belongs to. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. MacArthur again writes, so our Lord says, these babies go into the kingdom purely by sovereign grace. They have nothing to commend themselves. And this is the greatest illustration of how everybody goes into the kingdom who goes into the kingdom. It's by sovereign grace. Not because of your achievement. You have achieved no more than a baby could achieve. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. And this grace enables you to come to Christ even in the midst of voice after voice that says, get away like the disciples. The voices may be saying this morning to some of you, get away. You cannot come. You're not good enough. You're not acceptable. The king is too busy for you. You're too unimportant. You're too lowly. You're the least of these. You're the helpless one. To which you, beloved, should answer, yes, I am. I am unable to come. I am not good enough. I am not acceptable. I am unimportant. I am lowly. I am the least of these. I am helpless. But my King Jesus is able. 
King Jesus is good enough. King Jesus is acceptable. And He accepts me. And He accepts you by grace through faith alone. King Jesus is most important. King Jesus was lowly, but now He is risen and reigning. King Jesus is not too busy for me or too busy for you. And He loves me. And He loves you. And He will save me. And He will save you. Coming to Jesus this way means you will humble yourself and receive the King and His kingdom as a gift that you cannot earn. It means you receive the kingdom in helplessness, in humble dependence on Jesus Christ alone by faith alone. I mean, God gives us two examples of this in the book of Matthew. Matthew 8, 8 through 10, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, He was astonished and said to those following, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And I love this woman. Y'all know I love this woman. Oh, this is why I want to name one of my daughters Phoenicia. Matthew 15, 26-28. Remember that woman who came to Jesus and begged, begged for Him to heal her daughter. And Jesus ignores her. Jesus says He didn't come for her. His disciples say, get away. <laughs> and then Jesus, what appears to be, insults her. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. <laughs> call me what? You call me a dog? Huh. Fine. Huh. I'll just go away. I'm not going to... Not gonna, I don't care about a man who calls me a dog. That's what we do with our rights and selfishness and pride. But not this woman. She took the title. Whatever Jesus calls me, that's what I am. I'm Jesus' little dog. She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. Then Jesus answered, Oh woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. You see how these people humble themselves before King Jesus like a little child and realize they were totally and utterly dependent on Him and whatever He says goes. They submit to Him in humility and dependence. We all must come to Christ this way. We must all come to Jesus this way in utter dependence like a child. And you can receive the kingdom of God like this Beloved, only because the King of the Kingdom came down from the highest of highs and made Himself the lowest of lows. He perfectly depended on His Heavenly Father throughout His life. He became the littlest child. And He became the outcast of outcasts on that cross. He became the most unimportant of the unimportant. He became the least of the least. He became the helpless of the helpless. The King of kings and Lord of lords laid His privileges aside and became utterly helpless on that cross to earn for us a place in His kingdom that we could not earn for ourselves. But then He rose up from the dead to be the highest of highs. He became the biggest, greatest, strongest child. He became the most important of the most important. He became the greatest of the greatest. He became the most helpful of the most helpful. He became the most powerful of the most powerful. And He is 100%. This, this God-man who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth, He is 100% totally in love with you. He's crazy about you. He's for you. And He's for your good forever. Beloved, do you know that? Pray that God would in, in, uh, assure you of that truth. And I want to end today with, almost end today, with uh, a question of application from Ligon Duncan. Asking the question, do we have gospel humility? Do we feel entitled to the grace of God? Children don't. That's one of Jesus' points in 
encouraging us to come to Him as children? Do, you, do we feel entitled to God's grace? Do we feel entitled to the blessings of God so that when things go wrong with our lives, we shake our fists at God as if He has done us a personal wrong? How dare He make our lives difficult? Or do we have gospel humility? Recognizing that every good gift comes, every good gift comes from the Heavenly Father by His mercy and every difficulty is not as difficult as it ought to be because His grace is intervening. Have we had gospel humility in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ whereby we have recognized that we deserve to be damned? We deserve to be damned. Beloved, I can't, I can't in words describe to you how joyful that will make you. It sounds counterintuitive, but when you really get that all you deserve is to be damned, and you realize that Jesus saved you, your worst days in this life can cause you to leap for joy anyway. Because all you deserve is damnation and hell forever, but Jesus saved me. However bad it is today, someday He's going to wipe away every tear from my eyes, and there's going to be no more death and no more sin and no more pain, and I'm going to have pleasures forevermore at His right hand. And I'll never go to hell. That brings joy. That brings joy. And so have we recognized that we deserve to be damned? We deserve to be cast off and condemned. We are sinners. And so we simply come to the Lord Jesus Christ with our empty hands and say, Lord, save me. Not only from my sins, but from myself. Not only from my evil deeds, but from my good deeds. Save me, Lord, because I have no claims on you. And so we come to Jesus like children with that kind of gospel humility. And we bring our children to this Jesus who alone can save them. Parents should diligently bring their children to Jesus. And Jesus comes for the humble, weak, needy, and dependent. He comes for children and all who humble themselves like these little children. Christ Jesus is the littlest child with greatest righteousness compiled. Yet for our sins He died reviled. Then rose again, our God has smiled, so now we come just like a child. That's my king. Do you know my king today? Keep the children far away. That's what his own disciples say. They're unimportant, only play, and so needy day to day. They waste our time, our life delay. What they take, they can't repay, and all our bank accounts decay. But Jesus showed another way. He took them in and made them stay. His mercy says, come here today. My mercy heart you can't repay. He put His love on full display when on His back our sins did weigh. The Son of Man our God did slay to take our sins and pride away. All our hopes in Him are yea. God raised Him up on that third day. So now bow down to Him and pray. He'll make you right with God today and calls you to His Word obey. Then on streets of gold you may forever dance and laugh and play. On Christ alone we must depend. As helpless babes we can't ascend. There's nothing in us to commend, but only sin our hearts intend. The God of heaven we offend, therefore our God so loved He'd send His only Son, His life to spend. To lowest lows He would descend, and on that cross His life expend. Then rise alive, all death to end. And make poor sinner babes His friend. To helpless faith, he will extend strong arms of mercy to defend. All condemnation He will end and grant a love none comprehend. He's greatest joy or all transcend. Jesus became the helpless Son. Though He could crush His captor's fun, He died and all the work is done. He rose the universe to stun. Now He's the best, second to none. So trust in Him, the rising sun. Christ is the hope of every child. Without His Word, they'll live like wild. Apart from Him, they'll die defiled. So bring them to the Christ they riled. He died a curse, cast out, exiled, then rose alive, all praise compiled. By faith alone, we're reconciled. Like a child, dependent, mild, all must come to the Lamb reviled. For then on us, our God has smiled. Please come to Christ just like a child. Father, we thank You for crying children. Lord, we want the children among us.
We want the people to come in. Father, we, we praise You for bringing children to this church that we can learn the lessons that Jesus even wants us to learn in this text that all the babies can do is cry and hope. All they can do is cry and hope and be utterly dependent on mama or daddy to help them. And so, Father, we pray that we would come to You knowing all we can do is cry and hope. That we would come in humility, that we would come in dependence, that we would totally and fully rely and lean on Christ alone for our salvation, who alone can save us. And Father, not only come to Him in this kind of dependence for our salvation, but Lord, we pray that in all of life, Lord, we would live in the light of this truth that we must come to Christ for help, that we are utterly dependent on Jesus Utterly dependent on You, Lord, to preach a sermon, to be a pastor. Utterly dependent on You to do the, the work and calling You've given us. Utterly dependent on You to be parents. Utterly dependent on You to be the children we should be. Utterly dependent on You to ink and eat and drink and whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. Lord, we're utterly dependent on You. Help us know that. Help us feel it. Help us sense that. Help us live in light of that utter dependence, that childlike dependence upon You. Lord, we confess apart from You we can do nothing. Lord, help us to live like it. Help us to show that we're dependent on You by the way that we pray and seek Your face and seek Your help. Lord, make us a humble people. And Father, we do pray You would help us as a church, as parents, to bring our children to Jesus Christ. Father, may that weigh on us that that is the most important thing we can do as parents is bring our children to Jesus and help us be faithful to do it that our children may not be damned. And so, Father, help us be faithful and help us to trust in You for all of this, knowing that we're utterly dependent upon You. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.